0: listening to the Michael Anthony Bible teaching podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com.
1: What am I? I'm given to you as a loan from God. I am priceless in value, and I am often used far lower than my greatest potential. What am I? The answer is found in the Word of God. We're going to look at the answer to this riddle, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Look with me. What am I? I'm given to you as a loan from God. I'm priceless in value, priceless in value. And I'm often used far below my greatest potential. Sure, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully... And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 22, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the story of a maniac in a mosh pit. It's a maniac in a mosh pit. Typically, we think of a maniac as somebody who's thrashing about out of their mind. This man has got to be out of his mind because there's a throng of people that this question comes out of. This request from this man comes in the midst of him standing among thousands of people. Last time we looked in the beginning of chapter 12, in the meantime, verse 1, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another He began to say to his disciples first, this is the context, the original mosh pit. Thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of people gathered around Jesus because he's teaching. He's performing miracles. They're recognizing very clearly that the hand of God is on this rabbi. He's not your typical rabbi. And this guy in the midst of hearing all that Jesus is saying comes out with this ridiculous request. He's got to be a maniac. He's got to be out of his mind because Jesus has been talking about hypocrisy, warning the people, watch out for the hypocrisy that you could fall into, the yeast of the Pharisees. He's been talking to them about how they should live their lives being fearful of God, having a reverence for God, not being concerned about the opinions and the attitudes and the pursuits of man, not being concerned about what people do. That's what Jesus has been talking about. In fact, he even talks about this unforgivable sin. It's possible to do something he was telling them in their day that could and would be absolutely unforgivable. And he's warning the disciples to be careful that they don't go down the road of the hypocrites who were the teachers and the leaders in that day. Jesus is talking about eternally significant things, talking about relying upon the Holy Spirit in the midst of persecution. And you would think that everybody in the crowd is hearing Jesus loud and clear, but there is a maniac in the midst And this man is not able to connect the dots. He's not able to see how the word of God is correlating to his own life. He's not able to see himself in the midst of that crowd as the person that Jesus is addressing. Do you know anybody who hears the word of God, keeps hearing the word of God, is in the presence of Jesus, in the word of God, and yet does not hear the word of God? Watch out for the maniac in the mosh pit. It could be you. This man is hearing all the teachings of Jesus. It's very clear that Jesus is giving stern warnings and encouragements. It's very clear that Jesus is consumed with eternity. It's very clear that Jesus is passionate about the kingdom of God. It's very clear that the hand of God Almighty is on Jesus. In fact, God Almighty is Jesus. God became flesh is now in their midst teaching and preaching. And you would think that the people in that mosh pit, the crowd of people, the individuals in that mosh pit would be interested in tracking with Jesus. And yet it's in the midst of that crowd, in the context of what Jesus is teaching, that this request comes, look with me in verse 13, Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd A nameless, faceless person could be anybody, could be you, could be me. Somebody in the crowd is not really listening. Somebody in the crowd is not really paying attention. You know, it's possible to be listening to the words of Jesus, to be in the midst of a movement of the Spirit of God, and to not get it at all. What a tragedy. To be that close to Jesus, to be in his very presence, to be somebody who is in a position to ask a question, what would you ask Jesus if you were within earshot? What would you ask Jesus? What would you request of him if you were listening to Jesus and Jesus was teaching These types of things, what would you say? Here's what this man asks. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's tragic because this man is consumed with the temporal. Jesus is talking about eternity. Jesus is talking about God-sized things. Jesus is talking about changing the world beginning with individuals. That's what Jesus is teaching about. And in the midst of all that, a guy doesn't seem to get it, and he says, hey, I'm interested in something temporary. Can you help me with a temporary matter? See how ridiculous it sounds? The man's got to be out of his mind. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus, being a rabbi, being a teacher, was in a position where people would indeed be within their rights, within their expected behaviors, to come and to ask a rabbi to be an arbitrator. The teachers, the leaders, the rabbi would be someone whom you could go to to ask for help in the midst of a domestic crisis. You would go to the rabbi. You Today, you would go to a rabbi. You could go to a pastor for help on a moral issue, a family matter. And so this man's request is not an improper request. It's not a wrong request. Jesus is the one whom you could go to to ask this type of a question, but Jesus seems very frustrated with the question, doesn't he? Man, man, who appointed me as an arbitrator between you? What's between your ears? What is sticking in your ears? Haven't you been paying attention to what I've been talking about? Don't you get why there are tens of thousands of people around me right now? And you're concerned about a natural, temporal, temporary inheritance between you and your brother? What is wrong with you? Man, sounds like he's from New Jersey. Verse 15, he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. Thinking about what's in it for you, losing sight of eternity, focusing on the here and now, be on your guard, take care against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of its possessions. And he told them a parable, a memorable story with divine, spiritual, eternally significant truth. That's what a parable is. A memorable story with divine, spiritual, eternally significant truth. That's what a parable is. How were the writers of the New Testament 30 years, 25 years, 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, I don't just want to focus on the death of Jesus. I want to focus on the resurrection. How could they remember what Jesus taught? Because he taught them in parables memorable stories that had truth. They were focused on truth. And he tells them a parable, saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. The guy had a bumper crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. My crops. He said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones because I have so many crops. I don't want to lose my crops. They're my crops. I don't want to lose them. You like losing your crops? If God gave you a bunch of crops, if God gave you a bumper harvest, bumper crop, you wouldn't want to lose it, would you? Maybe you'd want to build a bigger barn so you don't lose your crop. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, see, he's really beside himself because he's talking to himself. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years for myself. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry, but God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, life is not about what a person has. That's not what life is about. Life is about what a person gives. The word here that's used for fool is somebody in the Old Testament, it's used again and again, it's used the same way in the New Testament. A fool is somebody who rejects the knowledge and purpose of God as the basis for their life. That's what a fool is. A person who rejects the knowledge and purpose of God for the basis of how they are living, that is a fool. And it's appropriate that this man is called a fool. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 14. In Proverbs chapter 14, if you were to study Proverbs even briefly, you would see very clearly that it's all about being a fool or being wise. In the book of Proverbs and in the Bible, The wise person is the godly person, the person who walks righteously before God, and the fool is the person who is likened to being wicked. They're synonymous. To be a fool is to be wicked. To be wicked is to be a fool. And here in Proverbs chapter 14, we have an example beginning in verse 1, just a sampling here. To whet your appetite for what it means to be foolish and what it means to be wise. Chapter 14, verse 1 of Proverbs. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is cleaned. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering but the upright enjoy acceptance. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, a fool is consumed and concerned with what he gets, but a wise person, a wise man, a wise woman is consumed with what he or she gives. A fool is concerned and consumed with what he gets, what they can store up for themselves, but the wise man, the wise woman, is somebody who's concerned and consumed with what he or she gives. What am I? I'm given to you as a loan from God. I'm priceless in value, and I am often used far below my greatest potential. I am your life. In the final analysis, you will use your life either for the kingdom and the glory of God, or you will use your life subtly, deceptively, foolishly for me myself and I this is why jesus leaves strong words in this parable for this man who's interested in taking what was given to him on loan by god and squandering it away just for himself do you know anybody who just uses the blessings of god for themselves that is the fool the irony here the classic Idea, the classic understanding of this, of the fool is right here. The man who was interested in money didn't realize that his very life, listen, his very life was a loan from God. The man whose life was about taking the investment that God had given to him and figuring out ways to store it so that he could live more easily, more pleasurably, more selfishly, did not realize that his very life, isn't that tragically ironic? He did not realize that his very life was actually a loan from God. Life itself is a loan from God. What would you do if God gave you something of immeasurable, priceless value? What would you do if God gave you something that was priceless? What would you do with it? How would you use it? How would you invest it? The truth of the matter is that God has given you something of immeasurable, priceless value. It's your life. And the truth of the matter is that you are already using your life. You're already investing your life. The question is, how you are investing your life? How are you investing your life? Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The immortal words of Leonard Ravenhill speak to us from the grave What would you do if God gave you something that was priceless? He's already done that. He's given it to you. It's called life. You've already begun to invest it. It's not a matter of whether or not it's been given to you. It has been given to you. It's been given to me. We only get one of them. And our lives in the final analysis will or won't be characterized by being wise or foolish. The foolish man, it's a contrast here invests in himself and therefore gets consumed and concerned and worried about himself and his needs and gets anxious and concerned. That's why Jesus goes on and talks about not being anxious. He says in verse 31 of Luke 12, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Jesus In this parable, helping them understand, interpreting it, helping them understand that the lilies of the field are taken care of by God. The ravens in the air are taken care of by God. If God's able to take care of them, you are, here it is again, worth much more than the lilies. You're worth much more. Next time you're feeling down and dejected about yourself, go buy yourself a bouquet of flowers to remind you that you are worth far more than the nicest bouquet you could ever get. The next time your spouse is struggling with self-image, you get them a bouquet of flowers to remind them that they are worth far more than those flowers which seem so beautiful. And ladies, buy some flowers for your men. Nurture the tender side of your man. Remind him not to worry. Remind him that he too is worth far more than he realizes you have the word of God to stake your claim. See, verse 31 is significant because it's about seeking the kingdom of God versus seeking your own kingdom. You cannot build your own kingdom and build the kingdom of God simultaneously. See, God will take care of your kingdom with a lowercase k, if you're about building his kingdom with a capital K, seek first his kingdom. All these other things will be taken care of. It's a great exchange. You and I are to be concerned and consumed with the glory of God, the kingdom of God, figuring out ways that we can invest in the only kingdom that will endure forever that's really what your life is supposed to be about that's what my life is supposed to be about God give me wisdom how can I invest myself more and more intentionally it never stops there's no such thing as retirement how can I be wise in investing the only life that you've given me for the only kingdom that will endure forever that's what a wise person does Contrast and comparison to the fool over there who's just concerned about me, myself, and I and figuring out the stupid ways that he or she could figure out to build a bigger barn, to keep things for themselves, to pursue a lifestyle of comfort and convenience. There is work to be done in the kingdom of God. There's work to be done. And I'm going to bring it down to a real practical matter here at Grace Fellowship. And if you're listening by podcast, hopefully you're involved in a church that's building the kingdom of God where the word of God is being taught and preached and God is moving there. We're in the middle of a grace explosion here at Grace Fellowship. The numbers have gone through the roof. Seems like out of nowhere I turned around. What happened to my church? I'll tell you what happened. The spirit of God is moving. More and more of us are getting serious about the only kingdom that will endure forever. Can I get an amen for that? More and more of us are getting a taste. When the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, those are tactile imageries. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you can identify with that? We are tasting and seeing that God is good. When we talk about being a church of local, regional, national, and international impact, we're beginning to taste, we're beginning to see what that might look like, that it begins locally that records are being broken or on the way to being broken with the yard sale, I'd like to see us have such a yard sale next year that it's $40,000 and people from the whole community come here to drop off stuff and they get knocked over by the power of God when they walk in the door. I'm not talking about something bizarre when I say knocked over. I'm talking about them recognizing that God's people are moving with God. I'm not talking about some bizarre Manifestation. I'm talking about a biblical manifestation where people are recognizing God is moving. These people are serious about God. Now I'm going to ask something that's a little bit unusual, but I'm going to ask if you, you see, we've got a problem here with our children's ministry. It is a good problem. It has gone through the roof. And you know, there's a statement, many hands make work light. It's a proverb. We've got people who are volunteering in the children's ministry who need a break and we need help because the nets are breaking. The boat is overflowing with the fish and when boats get a lot of fish in them, they tend to sink. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that's a good problem. I'll take that any day of the week. It's a good problem because it means that you are part of a church where families are coming with young children. Now, if you or somebody who's got children who is in grade six or lower, I'm going to ask you to stand up for a second. If you have children who come to the and you come to this church and you have children who are in sixth grade or younger, stand up. Or you have, you're a guardian over children who are in sixth grade or younger. Fantastic, glory to God. There's going to be more in the second service. You know, if even half of you would commit to volunteering, you can grab a seat now, one Sunday a month, one Sunday a month, our problem with volunteers in the children's ministry would vanish, and we would be able to make that next step toward being, realizing The idea of being a church of local, regional, national, international impact, because it's got to begin right here. You might say, well, if I volunteer on a Sunday, I'm going to miss Pastor Mike's preaching. I'm going to miss the worship service. Well, you know what? There is something called the God Factor app. You can listen to it on the go. And there is something even greater than that. It's not about listening to the message. It's not about sitting and soaking in the word. It's about that then making a change and a difference in your life and in mine. So if you have children in grade six or younger, you go out to the atrium today, it should be like that scene. It should be like that scene and it's a wonderful life where everybody is giving George all of that money and all this money's floating around. It should be your name with your contact information saying, I want to help out in the children's ministry. Why? Because God is moving at this church. This is a grace explosion. And this is what happens when the Spirit of God moves. You've dreamt about being part of a movement of God. You've been hungry about being part of a movement of God. You've prayed about being part of a movement of God. All your life, at one point or another, you ask God to move in your life in such a way that in your lifetime, you would see him move. And guess what? It is happening, not sometime in the future. It's not something we're looking back at in the past. Right now, life is happening and God's given you life. He's loaned you life for you to invest, for me to invest. You should go out into that atrium today and say, please, give me the opportunity to be part of this movement of God because I know that my life is not about what I get. My life is about what I give for the kingdom and glory of God. You don't have to serve. You get to serve. You might be an empty nester. If you're an empty nester, why don't you stand up? empty nesters, stand up. There is a generation that's being raised up right now, sixth grade and under, who are an investment for the kingdom of God. One day they will stand in your place and they will invest or not invest based on your example and your witness and your testimony. If only half of us if only half of us, whether you're in Crossroads, whether you're in pace setters, caught God's vision to invest in another child, aren't you glad that somebody invested in your life? Don't you wish that somebody would have invested in your life? If only half of us invested one Sunday a month to help out in the children's ministry... This church would go to the next place of being able to accommodate the fish that are being thrown into this boat, and we'd be able to mend the nets and move forward and give Jesus what he wants, a church of local, regional, national, and international impact. You can grab a seat. There is no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. This means that you might be here for the first service, and instead of going to the second service to get more teaching and more deposited into your soul. You might, in that second service, serve somebody else. You might, in that second service, invest in the life of a child. You might do that, not somebody else. Everybody thought somebody was doing something, so nobody did anything. No, we don't. That's not how we're going to be a church of local, regional, national, international impact. That's not the mindset of a disciple who is following Jesus. The mindset of a disciple is somebody who treats people differently a mindset of a disciple is somebody who prays differently. There are no atheists in foxholes. It's easy when you're in a crisis situation to all of a sudden have a religious experience and see your need for God. No, but a disciple sees their need for God continually and perpetually. And a disciple has a different attitude about possessions. People, prayer, and possessions. People, prayer, and possessions. Let's say it together. People, prayer, And possessions. Those are the three areas that are markedly different, noticeably different in the life of a disciple. The way you treat people should be increasingly selfless. You see that the way you invest in the lives of other people is a kingdom investment. You're not looking at storing up things for me, myself, and I. You're looking at storing up treasures in heaven where a moth will not eat where nothing can decay or destroy or dissolve those things. God is moving today. The Spirit of God is moving today. God has given you, he's given me life today to invest for the only kingdom that will endure forever, the kingdom of God. What am I? I'm given to you as a loan from God. I'm priceless in value. And I'm often used far below my greatest potential. I am life. What would you do if God gave you something priceless?
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.